The words we heard at the beginning of our service come from Matthew chapter 14 um, in verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Peter is an interesting character, isn't he? I don't mean that Peter, I mean the, the Peter in the Bible. I read the other day, and I certainly didn't know, that um, he is the patron saint of locksmiths. And you might say, locksmiths? What on earth that got to do with Peter? And the answer is very simple when you read it. It is that we understand Jesus gave the keys to the gates, the pearly gates to um, him, and therefore he should be the patron saint of locksmiths. He also, of course, as you may well know, is the patron saint of fishermen. When Jesus called him, you'll no doubt recall that they were all sitting on the beach, many of the disciples, as we've come to know them, mending their nets because they were fishermen. And there was Simon Peter, and brother and Andrew, minding their own business and mending their nets. And along comes Jesus, come, follow me. And we understand that instantly they got up without any hesitation and followed him. Now, Peter, I understand, was rather known for saying things, we might say rather vulgarly, that put his, his, um, opened his mouth before his brain became in gear. But however, yes, he instantly decided he would follow Jesus. He was the only disciple, as far as we know, who was married. So I wonder when he got home whether his wife was asking, did you ask about the pension arrangements or what the working week was? And if so, what did she say? I'm not trying to suggest in any way it was a frivolous answer and he didn't really mean it. That could be said about other things he said on other occasions, but on that particular occasion, I'm sure it was genuine. He was a real stalwart, if you like. He was very loyal to Jesus, there's no doubt at all. Oh, he made mistakes, don't we all make mistakes from time to time? And you'll remember, no doubt, how he um, said three times after having promised Jesus, yes, I'll follow you, I'll go to prison for you, I'll do anything for you. And then three times he was asked, are you a friend of Jesus? Oh, no, 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 I don't know him at all. He was clearly afraid that he didn't, he didn't want to admit the, he was a friend of Jesus. And yet, you probably remember the passage when Jesus asked the disciples later, who do people say I am? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. And then Jesus, I'm sure, looked very quizzically at the disciples and particularly at Peter, who do you say I am? And he answered, as you'll remember, I'm sure, you are the new Messiah. He was always a good one, Peter, for asking questions. Passage you recall probably about forgiveness. And uh, he asked Jesus, oh, um, I know that forgiveness, we're supposed to forgive people three times. I, I forgive seven. Is that right? And I'm sure he thought that Jesus would probably give him a pat on the back. Oh, well done. Yes, that's very good. Forgiving seven times. 
But of course, the answer Jesus gave was, no, 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 not three or seven, but 70 times seven. You must keep forgive, 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 and, uh, and, and so on. And there were a number of times when he'd made a mis- when Peter had made a mistake, he said, that, oh, no, no, I, I know that Jesus has forgiven me. I, I, I'll try and do better next time, but I know he's forgiven me. And that's, again, an important lesson, isn't it, for, for us to learn. We know that we all do make mistakes, but our faith does, like Peter in the boat, does wobble from time to time, but Jesus will forgive us if we're really trying hard. And one could go on with stories about Peter. He was an amazing character, and one which certainly many of us, certainly I could do well to try and follow more. Um, he was, as I've said already, a very faithful, a very loyal servant of Jesus, no doubt at all about that. When I'm thinking about faith and does the faith wobble, another story always immediately comes to my mind, that of Abraham. Remember Abraham, um, father was a chap called Terah, who worked for another chap called Nimrod as commander-in-chief of um, Nimrod's armed forces. And when Abraham was born, legend has it, whether it was true we don't know, but legend has it that um, Nimrod was going to determine to kill the baby. And so the family had to go into um, a cave overlooking the desert. That was fine um, for a little while, um, and um, the amazing thing happened apparently when uh, the young uh, Abraham was about 10 or 11, he thought, hmm, there must be some, uh, uh, something or somebody controlling the earth. Ah, ah, I think it's the sun. But of course, as we all know, evening came, the sun went down, and, um, oh, well, it can't be the sun then, can it? And he thought similarly about the moon, but of course that didn't stay long either. And then he had what, to me, for a child of 10, it seems to me an amazing statement, really, there must be someone controlling the sun and the moon. And that is the God um, I'm going to worship. You'll probably remember that the family of Abraham, um, they were all brought up in a place called Ur, you are the favorite of crossword compilers. And um, in Ur, everything seemed to go quite well for some time until eventually they really had to move. And they were on their way to Canaan, the whole family. There was, um, uh, as I've said, Terah, the, uh, Abraham's father. Not sure about his mother's name, possibly a lady called Amathla, but we don't know for certain if that's true. Um, and then uh, Abraham and Sarah and Lot, uh, the nephew. And they all trooped up and got as far as a, a city called Haran, which apparently, I've never been there, but apparently a very nice place, and they stayed there until um, eventually um, Terah died. And after he died, they carried on and um, went towards Canaan. It was very adventurous, and again, that's, I think, another important lesson for us, isn't it? They were adventurous. They didn't seem to worry about taking sensible risks on the whole. If it was what God was asking them to do, they would do it. And that could be said, too, about the next event, I think, in Abraham's life, when it was discovered that Sarah, his wife, couldn't have children. 
So we are rather careful how I say this, but um, apparently she let him go to bed with a lady called Hagar, who was her, man, her woman servant. And as a result, Ishmael was born. And that was okay, fine for a little while. Everyone seemed to be happy, but then the women started to argue. They knew that hadn't been right. So God had to intervene. And again, that's another lesson, isn't it, for us? God will intervene in our situations if he thinks they're not working. He intervened by saying to Sarah, apparently, don't worry, I know you think you can't have children, but you are going to have a child called Isaac. Oh, very good. And if you look up Isaac in the dictionary, it means he laughs. They were laughing all the way to the maternity ward. They were 99 and 90, for goodness sake. Whether they actually were, it's debatable. Some long time ago, I was, I was at a meeting um, with someone who knew certainly far more about the Old Testament than I did, and I said, oh, you know, is it really? Are they really 99 and 90? Is that genuine? And he died at 150 or something. Come on, you know, that can't be right. And this person, she was director of studies in the Old Testament at Cambridge, so I thought she ought to know something about the Old Testament and I could rely on what she said. No, don't worry, divide the numbers by about three and you'll probably be about right. Sarah was definitely beyond childbearing age, no doubt at all about that, but she probably wasn't 90 or 99. And perhaps the final event in Abraham's life we can mention this morning is that when the young boy, Isaac, was about 10 years old, God said to um, Abraham, I want you to give him to me as a sacrifice. What? My favorite son, my loved son? Oh no, come on, no, you don't mean that, Lord, do you? I want you to go to the land where there's the mountainous range Moriah, go up the mountain and give him to me as a sacrifice. Do read the story in Genesis, it's quite exciting because you find what happens, of course, that yes, they get to the land, looking up at Moriah, and they say to the two servants who've come with them, stay here, said Abraham, and we're going up the mountain to pray. Didn't say we're going to give a sacrifice of my son here, but we're going up the mountain to pray and we shall be back. Wait a minute, we shall be back. Now, was he telling a direct lie, do you think? Did he, did he think, no, I don't say I shall be back, because immediately Isaac would have said, well, well, what about me? Then aren't I coming back? And there might have been a problem. But nevertheless, they did go up the mountain. Interesting that um, if you read, that's in Genesis chapter 22, you then read that as they were walking up the mountain, um, Abraham and Isaac. Isaac says to his father, so where's the lamb for sacrifice? Don't worry, son, God will provide. I wonder what went through Isaac's mind at that point. Well, a bit strange, but okay. I like to think, when one reads the rest of the story, it's very clear they do go up the mountain. Uh, Abraham does build a large bonfire, November the 5th type, strikes the match and is just about to light the bonfire when God said, no, 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 stop that. Give me that ram over there instead.
If you think about the faith that both Peter in the boat and at other times in his life and Abraham, there are certain similarities, aren't there? And I ask ourselves, I certainly ask myself, is my faith strong like that? They were, as I've said already, adventurous, take some risks. Yes, so long as I know that's what God wants me to do, I'm happy to take a risk. Or do we realize that God can do things which humanly are impossible? Sarah told that she couldn't have children. Peter, I'm sure, when he looked up and thought, crumbs, I'm being told to come to Jesus. He must have had some hesitation, some doubts, mustn't he? I'm sure I would have done. Perhaps you would have done, I'm not sure. Whether we would actually have walked on the water knowing that Jesus was asking us to do that, I'd like to think I would or did, but, well, I'm not, I can't really stand here in all, in all honesty to sort of guarantee that. Certainly God was testing both Peter, would he walk on the water? He was certainly testing Abraham, would he accept that, yes, Sarah was going to have a child, Isaac, although she'd been told that she couldn't have children. Another characteristic of both Peter and Abraham's faith is surely the fact that they had to wait around for God to answer. I may have said before that I'm the most impatient person you could ever come across. I want things to happen today. I'm not worried about tomorrow or next week. I want it to happen today. I'm thinking of exam results on Thursday, for example, for A-level students, and you think, I'd be petrified, I'd be worried at the moment, um, uh, and I'd want the results today. No, don't keep me waiting. I've got to learn to be patient, uh, or try to be patient, find it very difficult. But God doesn't answer our prayers necessarily when we think and hope that he will, he may well take his time, as he did with both Peter and with Abraham. Let me finish by asking you if you, if you have, or if at home you have, um, a Bible to hand, do look up quickly, if you will, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. If you look that up, you will see, certainly in the church Bibles, it is the start of a section called, Do Not Worry. I wonder if any of us can honestly say we haven't worried about something in the last week or whatever, or even this morning. I put a fair bit of money, if I was a betting person, we probably have worried about something. In a sense, that's again, isn't it, a test of our faith, our trust in the Lord? Will he allow us to walk on the water as Peter did? Will he provide the children that he promised Sarah? I've got to learn not only to be patient, but yes, to put more trust. Of course, actually the Greek word used in that passage in Matthew 6 is actually to worry, um, well, uh, with some sort of anxiety, I think is probably the right word. It's not your normal worry, it's to worry unnecessarily, because the passage goes on to say, and also in Luke, that, well, what's the point of worrying? It's not going to add anything to the problem. It's not going to help solve the problem in one jot, is it? That we should have our trust and our faith 
in the Lord that he will do whatever he wants to do, his plan, and we shouldn't worry if we can possibly avoid it. Now, I must practice what I preach, and I must be patient, and I mustn't worry. Whether I'll succeed is another matter. Mm -hmm. Amen. <laughs>